When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dividends are back, everyone. They're back. Right on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. Companies restart dividends, shedding COVID cash concerns. Coronavirus spurred companies to hoard cash. Now they're starting to dole it out. How do they dole out that cash? They do it through dividends. After scrambling to hoard cash in spring, some large U.S. companies that halted their dividend payments are reversing their decision, a sign that leaders believe the worst of the crisis is behind them. In this episode, we're going to be looking at five high-yielding dividend-paying stocks. And the issue is when you look at high-yielding dividend-paying stocks, you run into a lot of bad companies, a lot of companies that you really don't want in your portfolio. Some of these higher-yielding ones are extremely risky. They have really poor balance sheets. They're in dying sectors. They're just not the type of companies we want to own. We want to own high-quality, high-yielding stocks. So we're going to go over five companies that are not only high-yielding stocks, but they're great companies. They're actually in good industries, they have growing revenues, and they have a safe dividend. I'll also in this episode be responding to a lot of your guys' suggestions and comments on which companies you thought were undervalued. I asked in the previous episode, leave me suggestions below of which companies you think offer good value right now. And a lot of people left different companies, so I'm going to look over them and give you my thoughts on them. Now, before jumping into that, I have to remind you, we do have a Patreon. It's an all-access pass to a dividend tracking website, uh, about seven or eight exclusive episodes, seven or eight hours of exclusive content. So you can consider joining that. There's a link in the description below. Okay, so let's jump right in. We're going to be going over the top five high-yielding stocks in the stock market, what I think are the five best ones currently. Now, Before we jump into these, I want to outline some of the criteria that I looked at. I looked for companies that, like I said, were not chasing yield. If you're chasing yield, that means that you're not really looking at anything other than the dividend yield. And like I mentioned before, if you just go and you put a filter on companies that are yielding above like 4%, and then you just start selecting different companies, you're going to run into a lot of value traps. Value traps are companies that were functioning normally, they're paying a dividend, And then really bad things started to happen with the company. They lost business. They lost contracts. They're starting to go downhill. And as a result, their yield spikes because the price of their company has gone down so much. That's a value trap. You don't want to buy into companies that have business models that are getting damaged over time. They're becoming weaker. And as a result, their yield is spiking and you're just buying in to get that high yield. So we're not chasing yield here. We're not looking for value traps. We are looking for companies with strong balance sheets. That means companies that make a lot of money, they can retain a lot of cash, and they have lower payout ratios. We're looking for companies that have growing revenue. Growing revenue means that the company's expanding. It's not shrinking. And that's an important thing. If you just look at net income, there's some things companies can do to increase net income while they're still shrinking. But revenue is more difficult to fake. A company can't really be shrinking if it's continually growing its revenue. So we're looking for companies with strong balance sheets, growing revenue, and whether the business model overall is a quality business model. And in number five of the top high-yielding dividend stocks on the market today, we have Digital Realty, ticker symbol DLR. This company is a REIT, which is a real estate company. And most of the time when you think of real estate, you think of retail companies, maybe malls. You think of maybe residential real estate or commercial real estate or business properties. This one's a little bit different. Digital Realty operates data centers. 
That's what their real estate is, is data centers. In fact, the way that they describe it, they say, Digital Realty acquires, develops, and operates data centers. The company is focused on providing data center, co-location, and interconnection solutions for domestic and international customers across a variety of industries. And they outline things like cloud computing, information technology services. So they provide these data centers for a variety of different companies, most of which are in the technology industry, which happens to be a growing industry. So that's a pretty good space to be a REIT. Now, if we look at some history on this company, right now it currently pays a 3.14% yield. So that's not the highest yield on the market. There's a lot of REITs that are paying a higher yield than this. But the reason I highlight Digital Realty is that not only do you get this yield, but you also get a very safe payout ratio. You get good dividend growth. It's growing at about 6% year over year, which is the market average right now. And it also has a great history of paying dividends. It goes way back to 2004. And you can see here the dividends paid out every single year. Even during the Great Recession in 2009, they were increasing their dividends. And then in 2020, they've also increased their dividends on schedule. So this company has been really good at paying out dividends in all different types of environments. It's a very resilient company. The other thing I like about it is you're not earning these dividends at the expense of capital appreciation. This company is in the green by 17% this year. At a time when a lot of REITs are still trying to recover, they're way down from their all-time highs. Digital Realty is just going right along. If we look at the five-year timeline here, it's up 96%. So this company, again, is giving you capital appreciation plus a steady stream of income along the way. Now, we can also take a look at the income statement and see what their revenues look like. This is the revenue over time of Digital Realty. You can see that it's been growing very steadily. In fact, if we go back to 2010, their revenue was $870 million. Then fast-forwarding to 2019, it was $3.2 billion. So they've grown their revenue substantially over the past decade, and that's expected to continue into the future. Digital Realty is expected to grow their revenue by 12% next year, which is pretty decent. So the company continues to grow, which is a very solid sign for it. Now, the last thing we can look at is the valuation of it. Is this a good time to buy Digital Realty? Right now, it's, it's mostly fair valued. It's been about the same yield that it has for the past five years, meaning it doesn't offer you a significant value to buy it right now. So I think that this company currently is just fair value. So I put Digital Realty in number five because overall, I think it's one of the best high yielding companies out there right now. It offers a really safe dividend. It's been growing as a company in revenue. It's in a growing category, which is data centers. And I think that that will continue to see growth in the future. Currently, I don't have it in my portfolio. But that might change in the future because this is one that I've been considering adding to it. So I may do that in the upcoming weeks. Now, moving on, the number four top high yielding stock that I think to own in the market is JP Morgan Chase. I had to mention JP Morgan Chase some point in this video. Obviously, big disclaimer. I own 82 shares of the company. I'm currently up a little bit on the stock. I've been building up my stake over time. JP Morgan pays a lot in dividends. The Ford yield right now is still above 3%. But in my opinion, that won't be the case in another year. I think that as things start to recover for businesses and for the overall economy, as JP Morgan gets in a more secure financial position and the outlook is more clear, this company's stock price is gonna go up. I think that's what will happen. Now, in the meantime, while all these cases are going on, while things are still being shut down and the future is very uncertain, JP Morgan is going to be in defensive mode. 
They're going to be like a turtle. They're not going to be giving out as much money in dividends. They're not going to be doing any share buybacks. They're going to be just fortifying their balance sheets and hoping that they're not going to take on too many losses. JP Morgan has actually done very well during this recession so far. If you look at the quarterly revenue, it was down quite a bit, but it was still pretty good and it's recovering very quickly. So their revenue is recovering. We still don't know about the immediate future. They're probably going to take on a lot more losses with businesses going out of business over the next six months. But my guess is that they can make it through this without destroying book value. Jamie Dimon plays things very conservatively. He's one of the best at balancing risk and reward. He doesn't want his bank to get hurt. He's going to play this very conservatively. He did so in 2009. JP Morgan didn't have to destroy book value in 2009 as well. And I think they'll be in the same situation this time. The biggest U.S. banks set aside more money for credit losses than analysts expected. They say they're prepared for all eventualities. And you can see the dividend history of this company tells a bit of a story. The last time that they cut their dividend was in 2009. The financial crisis happened and basically every bank cut their dividend. Most financial institutions did. So in 2010, they paid a very small dividend, but then they raised it back aggressively. Just in three years, it was right back to where it was prior to 2009. And they've since been raising the dividend aggressively. This company was an absolute beast before 2020. The amount of net income it made was incredible. Just in 2019, JP Morgan made $36 billion in net income. That's not revenue. That's net income. That's how much money they took home was $36 billion. And I think this company can be widely profitable in the future. If we look by quarter in net income, in 2019, they were making like $9 billion per quarter in net income. And then in 2020, it dropped to $2.9 billion. So the net income went down, but this is still a profitable company even during this recession. Even during this pandemic, they're still making a profit. And in fact, the last quarter they reported, they earned $9.4 billion. So they're still doing really well. Now we can look at the dividend yield over time. It starts off in 2015, and it's around 2%, 3%. And then for a long time, JP Morgan's yield has been 2% or even below 2%. So investors like this company. It was a cash-producing machine. This company earned tremendous amounts of net profits. And then we got into March of 2020 when the economy went south. As soon as the economy looks like we're entering into a recession, investors want to get out of banks. They want out of financials. Banks or anything that lends out money, that's not what you want to own in a recession. All these businesses are going to go out of business and that's going to make it so that the banks lose a lot of money and loans. So those loan losses are what investors feared and a lot of investors sold out of JP Morgan. The stock went down like 60% and the yield spiked up to above 4%. But JP Morgan never canceled their dividend. They never even cut it or reduced it. In fact, they kept paying it just the same. And in the meanwhile, we also have the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell coming out with the money printers saying, Wall Street, you can have money. Main Street, you can have money. Everybody can have money left and right. And that makes it so that the losses that JP Morgan was going to take on, all the businesses that were supposed to fail, well, a lot of them got bailout money. A lot of them actually got more money than they've ever made before because they're getting stimulus money. And in some cases, those small businesses have actually increased their sales because they adapted to online sales and other forms of it. So the losses that JP Morgan was expected to take on, I don't think are going to be as bad as they expect. And on top of that, JP Morgan has a really good balance sheet. It's nothing like it was in 2009. Banks were wholly unprepared in 2009. And in 2020, they are overprepared. 
They have a tremendously good balance sheet to take on losses. So this spike in yield, I think, is somewhat unjustified. I think investors sold out of banks without even thinking twice about it. And in the meantime, I think it still offers a very good value. As you can see, the yield is starting to come down, meaning the stock price is starting to go back up. And I think we'll see that continue. As we see better vaccine news, as we see the coast being more clear with the coronavirus being handled, I think that the stock price will continue to improve with JP Morgan. So I've been buying my stake over the past three months. I own about $10,000 of the stock right now, and I'm happy I do. I think in a couple years, this will be a company that a lot of investors wish they purchased this year. Another thing I'll mention that I like about JP Morgan is not only does it offer a really good dividend yield, not only is it a company that I think will see capital appreciation plus increase in dividend payments over the future, but this company is competing with fintech companies. It recently announced that it's taking on Square and PayPal with a smartphone card reader. They're calling it Chase Quick Accept. And it actually has a few benefits that Square doesn't have, which is that the money will be debited to your business account the same day. It happens instantly with no additional fee. So JP Morgan is saying all these fintech companies that are taking market share, yeah, we can actually build the same thing and try to compete with them, which I like to see from one of the big banks. So overall, I put JP Morgan as number four because I really like where this company's at right now. I really am a fan of this company, the stock and the current price of it. It would have been better to buy it before the vaccine news. It was a little bit cheaper, but a lot of companies were. So you can't beat yourself up if you missed it before the vaccine news. I still think there's value to be had with this company. I've mentioned many times before that right now JP Morgan is officially blocked from doing share buybacks. The government will not let them. They've restricted them. But once they become very profitable and it's clear that they don't have any issues with their business, they will be unleashed to be able to do share buybacks. And my guess is they will do them aggressively. JP Morgan does an incredible amount of share buybacks because they make so much money, they don't know what to do with it all. The company paid out $87 billion in buybacks and dividends over the past three years. $87 billion in share buybacks and dividends in just three years. That is a lot of money being returned to shareholders. So this is a company that I'm glad I have this holding, and I plan to hang on to it into the future. In number three of the top high-yielding dividend stocks in the market right now, we have Verizon Communications, ticker symbol VZ. I understand this is not the most exciting company. In fact, this is a very boring company. It's a telecom company. You have to hook your cell phone up to it. Otherwise, you're going with T-Mobile or AT&T. Now, the reason I like Verizon is because it's mostly a pure play into telecom. They have a very good network built out. They have pretty good service. They often do little benefits and stuff with other companies like Netflix to draw in more customers. So they do the same thing that most telecom companies do. But Verizon has been a very well-managed company. It's grown steadily and it offers a pretty good dividend yield. The yield is currently 4.1%. That's not incredibly high, but that's much higher than you're going to get in your savings account. Right now, even high yield savings accounts offer like a 0.6% yield. So yield is difficult to come by right now, and Verizon offers a relatively safe 4% dividend yield. The payout ratio of their dividend is currently 51%, which is a pretty healthy dividend, and this number's actually gone down in recent years, meaning that their balance sheet is getting healthier and healthier, and their dividend is becoming safer and safer. The dividend history is also terrific. They've been paying it for decade after decade without any hiccup or any problem, and I fully expect them to do the same in the future. The dividend growth is one of the downsides of Verizon. 
It's a pretty low dividend growth. They're only growing their dividend by just over 2% a year. So if you buy this company, you're pretty much getting their current yield. You're not going to see a tremendous amount of dividend growth. So the current yield's very high. They've already bumped it up a lot. But don't expect this to be a company that grows their dividend 10 or 15% year over year. They're not going to do that. So Verizon's a safe call, but a boring company to invest in. You can put your money in that. You can earn the 4% dividend yield, which is really good considering today's low yield environment. And you can expect the company to grow at a very slow pace moving forward. Moving on, number two, we have AbbVie. ABBV is a ticker symbol. This is the pharmaceutical, the healthcare company that has the big drug, Humira. That's their main drug that AbbVie owned. And then they acquired a company called Allergan, which is the maker of the popular drug Botox. So AbbVie's trying to diversify their revenue, and they've done that with this acquisition. Now, a big thing recently happened with this stock. Warren Buffett bought into a lot of pharmaceutical companies. They bought into Merck, Bristol-Myers Squibb, as well as AbbVie and a couple others. So they took kind of a basket approach. They bought into a handful of different pharmaceutical companies, but AbbVie was the one they purchased the most shares of. They purchased over $2 billion of the stock. So that was a huge endorsement of this company by Warren Buffett. Now, even after the jump in price, the company's still yielding above 5%. And that is a very high yield in today's market, even amongst other healthcare companies. Above 5% dividend yield is very high. So this is a company that's paying out a lot in dividends. The payout ratio is currently 49%, a little on the high end, but still not dangerous. They're not in danger of canceling it. And they continue to grow their dividend at a very high pace. The last announcement just recently, they grew their dividend by 10%. The dividend history also shows a dedication to paying it. They have a very clean dividend history, no cuts in sight, and they're still raising it year over year. Right now, I currently own about 40 shares of AbbVie, which is about $4,000 worth. I'm in the green by $368, and I plan on holding this stake into the future for at least the next couple of years. It's a company I think will continue to pay its dividends and grow them over time, and it's a good investment for anybody seeking a high-yield portfolio. So if you want a company that's yielding above 5%, it's few and far between to find companies that are doing that that are still stable and growing, and AbbVie's one of them. Now moving on, the number one top high-yielding stock in today's market, in my opinion, is Store Capital. You knew I had to throw this one in. Store Capital is one of my favorite companies. The ticker symbol is STOR. To just give you an idea of how much I like this company and how strong my conviction is with it, it's my second largest holding in my portfolio next to Apple. Apple's the only company that I have more money invested in than Store Capital. So I currently own 442 shares of the company. That means that my current stake is about $14,000, and I've made about $3,000 in gains. Now let's go into this company for a bit. First of all, what does Store Capital do? Store Capital is an internally managed net lease real estate investment trust. It has about 2,500 properties and locations across the United States, substantially all of which are profit centers. This is part of what Store Capital does as a business and a business model that I think is superior to other companies. They only rent out to locations that drive profits for that company. So the company has to be making money in the location that they rent out. And the reason that they do that is because they know those companies need Store Capital. They need that location. And that's one reason I like Store Capital. The business model is very thought out. It's ran by a guy named Christopher Volk, who I think is exemplary in running this company. He really knows his stuff. He's very transparent with shareholders. He explains how the business works, all their different strategies, the reason that they're going to have a higher risk-adjusted return than other companies, and so forth. So Christopher Volk is a CEO I really like. And Warren Buffett likes Christopher Volk as well. He's invested 
in-store capital in part because of the person running the company. He thinks that Christopher Volk really knows how to run this company. And so Berkshire Hathaway does have a stake in-store capital. They've had it since 2017 and they've added to it during this downturn. So they've continued to see value in this company. So I like the leadership. I like the business model. Now let's go ahead and take a look at some of the numbers. Store capital has a current dividend yield of 4.5%. The payout ratio is about 80%. That's a little bit high, but that's about where you want the payout ratio for REITs. Most of them are within 70 to 90%. If they're above 90%, that's where it gets really troublesome. The dividend history of this company is short, but it's good. They don't have the same super long track record as some other companies like Realty Income Corp., But in their short amount of time, they've raised the dividend aggressively and they've kept paying it during coronavirus. So during 2020, they haven't cut their dividend. So that's all of them. That's all five. We have Digital Realty Trust. We have JP Morgan Chase. We have Verizon. We have Avi, And we have Store Capital. Those are five higher yielding companies that I think all present a good business model and good value in today's market. So I hope you enjoyed this little segment. It might be something I do like once every month. Now, one thing I also want to show, as long as we're talking about passive income, is my passive income over time. This is the monthly dividends that I've been paid every single month since when I started my account nearly three years ago. January of 2018, I earned zero in passive income. And then in February, zero dollars. And then it started to pick up. Nine dollars in March of 2018. And that was a small amount of money, that first nine dollars. But that was probably one of the most exciting months in investing I've ever had because it was the first time that I got paid some money without having to work for it. And once that happens, it triggers something different in you when you realize, my goodness, I don't have to work for all the money I make. I can actually build a stream of income that is passive, that works in the background, that'll earn me money while I sleep. And that lit a fire. And since then, I've aggressively tried to build this stream of income more and more every single month. And you can see that grow over time. Look at the progress of this. I could throw a trend line and you'd see it go straight through here. So the passive income is growing over time to the point where I'm now earning at least $200 a month. My average is probably getting closer to $300 a month. And if I look at this as a progress on year over year, you can see the progress every single year. Pink was 2018. Those are the pink bars. And then the blue was 2019. And then, of course, the yellow is 2020. Look how much more money I'm earning every single year. This is a result of building up my portfolio through aggressively funding it, as well as the compounding effect of reinvesting all these dividends. All this money on this graph has been reinvested back into the portfolio. It's purchased more shares of these dividend-paying companies that add more to my cash flow. And you can see that every year I'm increasing my dividends year over year. Now, you might ask, why is this so important? Why do I care so much about passive income? Why am I so obsessed with building a diversified stream of income? One of the reasons why is you're not totally reliant on one income stream. You're not totally reliant on your job. And that can come in very handy if you ever run into rough times. I recently watched this little clip from CNBC. This is Shepard Smith, and he highlights what's going on with the economy right now. This is a troubling thing to watch. It's very unsettling to watch, but it's a short clip. I just want to show you some of this. We're told they discussed the stimulus and the looming government shutdown. No progress on either announced. As always, Democrats and Republicans are blaming each other. And again, the clock is ticking. A new study shows 12 million Americans could lose unemployment insurance by the end of the year. That's correct. Congress has not come to an agreement on a financial stimulus. They just argue back and forth. They both blame each other and none has come forward. So we're not getting any type of financial stimulus. And in the meantime, we have 12 million Americans that have lost their jobs this year. They've been on unemployment for like six months and their unemployment is set to expire. 
meaning they're not going to have any income. Imagine being in that situation. That sounds very troubling. That sounds very frightening. And in fact, the visual of actually seeing the amount of people that need help even hits home a little bit harder. The lack of help from the government evident everywhere. This is what the line for the food bank in Fort Worth looks like. It has looked like this for days. Each car, an American who needs help putting food on the table. Without a bill, lines could even get longer. Look at that line. There's hundreds of vehicles lined up to get food, just to get some groceries so that their families have something to eat. These are people that are reliant on the government because they've lost their job. This is a desperate situation. It's very troubling to see. I wish there was some way that I could help these people, but unfortunately, I don't have the circumstances to help people in this situation. But the reason I bring this up, even though it's kind of, you know, it's troubling to look at and it's difficult to see people in this situation, I wanted to bring it up to show the importance of generating a stream of passive income. This is not just a gimmick. It's not something that you just do for fun. I personally think that investing and finding good companies to buy is extremely fun to do. It's very gratifying and it's fun and it's rewarding to see your money go to work. But a bigger reason to do this is because it adds a lot of stability to your life. If you ever have a tough situation come up in the future, if you ever find yourself facing unemployment or being in one of those situations, imagine how much more confidence you'd have if you had a stream of passive income pouring into your account every single month. If you had hundreds of dollars coming in every month. And right now, this might not be enough to completely cover all expenses. You might not be able to pay your mortgage or all of your utilities, but if you grow the stream over time, it can really get to that point. If you're unemployed, having an extra $300 a month would be huge. That can afford a lot of groceries every single month, and that could definitely help subsidize your expenses. My portfolio is not the biggest one. It's $138,000, and even that in the past 90 days has paid $836 in dividends. So this would help out dramatically if you were ever in a circumstance where you needed help financially. And that's not to mention selling stock. You also have this as a wealth reserve so that if heaven forbid the cash flow wasn't enough, you could always sell off some shares that are potentially overvalued or ones that have really had a good run up. You could sell off some stocks to be able to help get you through hard times. That would be the less desirable outcome, but that's better than nothing. At the end of the day, Building wealth is important. These videos about picking good companies to invest in, these aren't gimmicks. This isn't just a YouTube thing that we do for fun. This can have real dramatic consequences on your life moving forward. And if you're in a fortunate circumstance where you don't have to ever use that money to live passively because of job loss or any unfortunate thing like that happening, then you'll be able to build a tremendous amount of wealth to help other people out with. There's lots of people struggling around you in different ways. And if you have a lot of money that you've built up carefully, that you're generating all this income, you might be able to look for opportunities to help other people. So overall, I bring this up because I think building this stream of passive income proactively is tremendously important to do. And I think it can have really positive impacts on your life financially. Now, having said that, let's go ahead and move on to comments and questions. These were all ones that have been selected from the previous video that I uploaded. So let's go through a couple of these. The first one's from Basic Reviews. He says, great show. Amazed you didn't mention Warren Buffett dumping Costco. That is true. I did leave that out in the last episode. A lot of people think I leave news out or I put news in for sometimes nefarious reasons, like I intentionally left it out. A lot of times I leave stuff out just because a lot of things happen every single day. There's a lot of news going on and I can't include all of it in every single episode. So I didn't try to leave out Costco being sold by Warren Buffett. It just didn't fit in with the episode. But it is true. Warren Buffett sold out of his entire Costco stake. And to me, the answer of why he did that is very clear. It's not because he doesn't like Costco, it's because the company is overvalued. Simply put, by any metric, 
That is one expensive company right now. And it's trading at a premium even compared to what Costco normally trades at. It's trading at above a 40 PE ratio. Above a 40. That's a higher multiple than Apple or Microsoft or Facebook. That is an incredibly high multiple for a retail warehouse chain. So it's clear that Warren Buffett looked at that and they said, this company's overvalued, so let's take the money, take the gains we've made and put it into something else. Um, So I can see him doing that. I thought about doing the same thing in my portfolio and I might actually exit the position. That's how overvalued Costco probably is. If it was closer to a 30 PE ratio, I wouldn't even be talking about it. But the fact that it's trading close to a 40 PE ratio is is pretty incredible. So I might do that in the future. But right now, I just haven't made the decision. I just have a very difficult time selling out of Costco. So I have not chosen to sell it, but maybe I should. So you can let me know if you think I should sell out of Costco and maybe buy back in when it becomes a little bit cheaper. Okay, the next one's from Taolong. He says, Sorry, Carlson, but regarding the coronavirus, you've been pretty wrong since the beginning. Not trying to bash you since it's not your topic of expertise, but the experts have been, for the most part, pretty spot on with predicting timelines. Even if the vaccine finishes their clinical trials, for 60% of people to become immune, either by contracting the virus or via vaccine, it won't be a one-month or two-month process. So a late summer immunity sounds more realistic and even more optimistic than the next month or early next year. Well, Telong, I wanted to respond to your comment because I think I may have given off the wrong impression. I never said, or at least I never thought I said, that I think there's going to be widespread immunity to the coronavirus in two months. That's not a timeline I've ever given out, nor do I think that's even possible or realistic. I've said that I think investors have been behind the vaccine news. I think they've been behind this timeline. I put out a video on a Sunday saying that there's a lot of good news coming in the future that's going to be dealt with. One of them is good vaccine news. And I thought that investors had not priced in that news yet. And then the next day, Pfizer announced their vaccine with a 95% effectiveness, and the markets went up like crazy. All the value stocks went up like crazy. Disney went up, Store Capital, Realty Income Corp., JP Morgan, all those stocks bumped, and my portfolio's returns went up a lot just that one day. And then since then, we've had another vaccine that's even brought things up even more. So I don't think I've been wrong on that. I've been saying that investors haven't been pricing in this good news. Now that we've received the good news, a lot of these companies have bumped up in price. But I think that same trend is going to continue. The issue is, is investors want to wait until the coast is clear to invest in these companies. They want to wait until we actually have the vaccine. It's being distributed. The coronavirus numbers are starting to trend back downwards and things are starting to look like the coast is clear. That's what investors want to invest. But by the time that happens, it's too late. The deals are gone. Everything has already been bought up. These cheap share prices you're getting on a lot of these companies, they will be completely gone once the coast is clear. So if you wait until this good news already happens, there's not going to be many deals to be had. They'll already be gone. You'll have to dollar cost average into the companies at a higher price. So I want to get ahead of that and buy into these different companies before this good news plays out, because I agree with the experts and I agree with the timeline. I think that within the next couple months, a lot of these vaccines will get approved. They'll start to be distributed. Some people will take them. It'll be rolled out slowly. There's a lot of skeptics and people that won't take the vaccines, which is totally normal and okay. But over time, as people gain a little bit more confidence in it, I think over the next year, more and more people will take it. And if they don't, I think the virus will also 
continue to run its course. So over the next year, I think we're going to see a diminishing of the coronavirus. And I think late summer, a lot of people will be immune to it. So with that timeline, expecting to have widespread immunity sometime around late summer of next year, you can't wait until late summer of next year to buy these recovery stocks. They will be already recovered by then and long before then. You have to buy them now when there's lots of confusion, where people aren't completely sold with recovery, when there's still some doubt in the air. As soon as the doubt is gone, as soon as recovery looks very optimistic, the deals will be gone. Jason says, can you look at Intel? I think $45 is great value right now. They've been knocked because of chip delays, and that's caused AMD to gain ground, but Intel did more in revenue last quarter than AMD did all year. Intel also pays a nice dividend for a tech stock. I think it's true, what you highlight, that Intel makes a lot of revenue. Um, They're trading at a very low multiple a P.E. ratio of below nine right now. So they're an incredibly cheap company. This has been a stock that's been recommended to me a lot. There's a lot of people on the Discord group that like Intel and have been buying into it recently at these low prices. My question is, is it just a good value or is it a value trap? Is this going to be one of those companies that continually just has different pieces fall apart? They lose Apple as a client. They have competitors come and advance in front of them and come out with better chips than they do. And they continually have troubles. Or is it one that's going to recover strongly? Right now, I'm not sure what that is. I don't know if Intel's a value trap or if it's just a value play right now. But looking at the situation right now, I don't have enough confidence to buy into Intel knowing that their multiple is going to go back up and knowing that this company is going to continue to stay really strong. As of right now, I've just stayed out of it. Seven Floors says, I went all cash today. I might regret it, but whatever. Well, Seven Floors... Everybody can make their own decision. I'm not telling you what to do, but I want you to consider a couple of things when you move all of your money to cash. First of all, you, uh, you're paying a high price for certainty. That's something that we know. If you want your money to be secure, you're not going to earn returns. That's just general in investing. If you want safety, you're not going to get returns. The way that you get returns is by taking on some amount of risk, some amount of calculated risk. So by moving to a risk-adverse strategy financially, you're not going to gain any returns. The whole time that you have your money in cash, it's just going to sit there, most likely being devalued by inflation. And we know that over the next year, inflation is probably going to run a little bit higher than it normally has. So that's the first thing is you're paying a high price for certainty. The second thing is that uncertainty is your friend. If you're an investor and you're investing in a really rosy, cherry environment, Warren Buffett says that that comes at a premium. When you're investing when the coast is all clear, you're paying a lot of money. When you're investing in an uncertain environment, that's your friend because you can buy all these companies at cheaper prices. And if you have a long-term horizon, you can hold on to them for a long time. So you should take advantage of this uncertain environment. You should identify companies that you know for a fact are going to be around in five years, and it's going to be a little bit better condition down the road. So that's a couple things to consider. I think the only valid reason why somebody would move to cash now is because you see the potential for a second crash in the market. You think there's going to be another stock market crash similar to what we had in March, and you're going to buy these companies at cheaper when that happens. Personally, I do not believe that that's going to happen. I don't think we're going to see a second crash because of coronavirus, even if the cases go up to 300,000 a day and we have massive amounts of lockdowns around the country. I still don't think we'll see a crash anywhere close to what we had in March. The reason why is because investors work off of knowns and they work off of unknowns. When coronavirus originally hit the US, there was so many unknowns. We had no clue what the future looked like. We had no clue which companies would do well, which ones would do bad. We had no clue how long things would last, the lethality of it. We had no clue. It was all new. 
Investors were moving into a very uncertain and unknown environment. And because of that, a lot of people raised cash. They moved to a more conservative profile. And all the investors moving to cash at the same time caused a market crash. So that's what happened initially. For another crash to happen, it can't be the same things going over again. Because we've already seen that play out and investors are aware of it. And I think that it's heavily priced in. So even if we have more lockdowns, even if we have rising cases, it's not going to affect the markets the same way. I don't think that we're going to see another stock market crash. What could cause another stock market crash is something brand new that we don't expect that's not priced into the market at all. So if you're waiting for another crash, I personally don't see another one happening anywhere at the same scale as we saw in March. And I'm fine putting my reputation on that. Maybe I'm wrong and maybe we do have one in the future. I can't see the future, but my guess is that we won't. So of course it's okay to move to cash, but I think you might be paying a lot of money to do so. The market goes up another 20 to 30% over the next year. I think you'll be kicking yourself. Chef says, is it just me or is Warren Buffett not really that smart? I remember that he sold almost all of his airline stocks. I bought at the same time he sold and it went up a ton. I simply knew the airlines had to come back. I got a ton of Jets ETF to have a diversified airline holding. With the sale of JPM, I'm thinking that he's making another bad play. What do you guys think? It is true that I think that Warren Buffett selling JP Morgan and moving into Bank of America is not such a bad thing. He just prefers Bank of America over JP Morgan. They probably have some analysis saying that Bank of America is more undervalued. Personally, I rather pay a little bit of a premium to have JP Morgan because I think that they're a more technology focused bank competing with fintech companies. Uh, and I think they're just a little bit more of a forward thinking bank. Either way, it's good news for JP Morgan that he's still buying Bank of America because most banks will trade the same. Both of them will either do well with the economy or they'll do poorly. Now, in terms of you saying Warren Buffett is really not that smart for his airline holding loss, keep in mind position size here. Warren Buffett had a position size of around four or five billion dollars in these airlines, four or five billion. And he sold them, I think, down like 60 or 70 percent. So he lost like three billion dollars. So he lost a couple billion dollars. Warren Buffett does not like losing money, but he decided to sell out of these airlines anyway. And it's true that they went up a little bit after he sold. But he lost 3 or $4 billion on these airlines. And in the meantime, Berkshire had purchased $35 billion of Apple stock. That Apple stock appreciated to be worth north of $90 billion, which means that he made over $50 billion just on his Apple holding. So he lost $3 billion on airlines. He made $50 billion on Apple. To me, that's a good trade-off. He's not hitting home runs on every single stock, but when he makes $50 billion on Apple, his largest holding and his biggest conviction, I think that that was a pretty good bet. So Warren Buffett has done some things that I think are mistakes in the past. He holds some companies that I wouldn't hold right now. But overall, I think the airline sale was a little bit overplayed. That was a smaller position for them. That was a smaller position for them. In the grand scheme of Berkshire, that's more of a rounding error. All right. Well, I'm going to end this episode there. I appreciate all of you for tuning in. Be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel if you haven't. We're also on all the podcast services, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Just search The Joseph Carlson Show and you'll see me show up there so you can subscribe there as well. And otherwise, I will see you guys next time.